When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Hello, welcome to A Slice of Cheese, the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food and share the stories of the people who make, sell and love it. The family of soft cheeses includes classics such as brie, camembert and soft goat's cheeses. We talk to award-winning cheesemakers, Stacey Hedges of Hampshire Cheese Company, famous for her Tunworth cheese, Kevin Blunt of Golden Cross Cheese, and Institute Victoria Stuart Liberty of Mons Cheese about the glories of France's soft cheese scene. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose... Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. This morning on A Slice of Cheese, very happy to have with me a wonderful cheesemaker, Stacey Hedges, founder of Hampshire Cheese Company, maker of a wonderful cheese called Tumworth. Good morning, Stacey. Morning, Jenny. Stacey, I gather that you started in a very small way indeed, in that you sort of started making cheese in your own kitchen. Is that, is that right? Yes, um, I did. I started collecting buckets of milk from a local farmer and uh, our boys were at primary school together and I just said to her, can I collect some milk from you and make cheese? You know, I just started by making curd cheese. I was just interested in the process and how, you know, milk turns into a solid and becomes cheese. So I just mm. started by making a curd cheese. Right. And so that cheese, and that's quite a jump then from a curd cheese to making what you are making. But perhaps we should also describe yeah. here Tumworth. I mean, in a sense, people call it the British camembert, don't they? What took you down yes. that, that road? That must have been quite a journey then. Uh, it was. And I um, wasn't, wasn't something I actually had planned. But um, once I started making the curd cheese, I, I really got the, I was really intrigued by the whole cheese making process. Uh, so I started doing a few courses and um, going to France and throwing myself into a, a local, you know, cheesemaker that I met, at the, you know, I met someone at the markets and asked if I could go and make cheese with them for a few days. And um, so I just started reading a lot about making cheese. And I just find the whole process fascinating that you can, you can start with a liquid from, you know, cows, goats, sheep or buffalo and 
you end up with such a huge variety of flavours and textures. You got bitten by the cheese bug, basically, like you know, like yeah. a lot of people <laughs> on this program say. And so, but why? So tell us a very, you know, Tom with his very specific style. It is this camembert, you know, white, sort of bloomy Rhine style. Um, what? Why did you start making that? Uh, so I think when I decided that I was going to make cheese professionally, I looked around at what I could and couldn't do. So I was in Hampshire, based in Hampshire. It's not an area for a territorial cheese, and so I had to make something different to a cheddar or a Stilton or Leicestershire. And I just looked at what wasn't on the market in the UK and with a bit of quite a lot of help actually from um, cheesemongers like um, Niels Yard Dairy and La Fromagerie and Paxton and Whitfield. Um, they all sort of pointed to the direction of a sort of funky, smelly white mould cheese and said, you know, that's the one thing that we're not getting here at the moment. And also it was, I guess, not wanting to sound sexist, but, you know, those big cheeses, the, the mm, 25 heavy. kilo truckles of cheddar were going to be yeah. quite a, a thing for me to have yeah. to lift. Um, yeah. So I did go for a small cheese because I thought that, A, I thought it would be easier, but of course it's, no cheese making is easy. So That's a really interesting and very relevant point, isn't it? Yeah, save your back. Yeah, quite. Um, <laughs> and so I'm guessing that it wasn't particularly easy to, to make uh to, you know, to go down that you know that camembert road how so did it take time what did you give us some dates here stacy when did you start making tomworth then um so it was in 2005 so i'd started in 2003 in my kitchen mm -hmm. um and in 2005 built a very tiny little creamery as a sort of startup to see if if it could become a viable business it was really, it was really difficult. I was very fortunate in that Randolph Hodgson uh, was very supportive in, and the whole of Neil's Yard were really supportive in my challenge. And actually they used to, so we would make the cheese on a Monday and we would salt it on the Tuesday. Neil's Yard would send a van down on the Wednesday to pick up the sort of naked young mm. cheeses yeah, they would the take them up to yeah. their <laughs> maturing rooms yeah mature them for us send them back down for us to wrap and box and oh. then we'd send them back to neil's yard for them to sell of course we sold them to them at full price so <laughs> it was yeah. an incredibly good um business deal for me but that was really so that they could show us that if we had the right equipment and the right maturing rooms we yeah. would be able to make really good cheese i think i would like to pause here just to pay tribute to the role you know Niels Yardere. their name comes up so often in this sort of conversation with cheesemakers when they've been behind the scenes they've been so supportive and helpful i know they're not the only one i know so yeah. Andy Swinsco at the Courtyard Dairy, very similar, yeah. you know, fantastic driving force, and Paxton and Fine Cheese. They've done a lot of nurturing. And I think it's yeah. another reason to shop at these wonderful cheesemongers, because actually, without them, we wouldn't have half the cheeses we've got. I really believe that, you know. So, so yeah, that's no. my little advertorial for cheese, buying cheese from good cheese shops. So, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and Andy is definitely doing that up in, in Yorkshire. Yes. He's really yeah. supporting He's a lot of yeah. local cheesemakers up yeah. there. Um, and we're getting a lot of really new, young people coming into the industry, which is fantastic. And they're all passionate about about the craft. And, and that's, I love seeing that. It's fantastic. So in this sort of, you know, your battle to, to make this cheese and journey, was there a moment of excitement? Did you have, you know, did you make one? Think, this is really, this is good. I've actually got a recipe that's working beautifully or make 
that's working for me? Uh, was it not that? Not sure there was this a glorious moment. <laughs> <laughs> there was, I guess, the moment was probably in 2006 when um, Tunworth won the uh, Supreme Champion Award at the British that's Cheese Awards. Quite a with, moment, isn't it? That must make yeah, you feel that was, come. <laughs> that was incredible because, of course, no one knew anything about Tunworth. We were still tiny and really at that stage i think mainly supplying a few local shops and um neil's yard but you know no one at the award ceremony had really heard of tunworth so um from that moment on you know we had a lot of interest which was fantastic and a lot of press and things so that really i guess gave me the boost to know that I was on the right track. Describe as though someone had never seen a Tumworth or tried it, what it looks like, what it tastes like, and give us a little sense of, of the making of how, I don't know, the, the moles you're trying to grow on it, the milk you're yeah. using. Talk us through it that way. Okay, so it does uh, it does look very similar to a camembert. Um, so it's a white mould ripened cheese. We try and make sure that the white mould on, on Tumworth is very thin mm-hmm. and it's not a thick rind. And that's quite a challenge because you've got to get the balance of the yeasts and moulds right on the surface of the of the cheese. Um, and we do that by using uh, a few different yeast moulds and cultures and um, with a lot of care. So every cheese is, is flipped from one side to the other every day. Right. Um, and so that's a bit of a labour of love. So the cheese has a, a sort of mushroomy sometimes cabbagey sometimes you can taste a bit of wild garlic in the in the mm. flavors and it's got a really creamy rich texture unlike camembert we use the the whole milk so we don't oh. skim any of the fat out um whereas camembert is made with this sort of semi-skimmed milk so that makes our cheese more i'd say rich a bit more dense and it's cow's milk it's a cow's milk cheese isn't it and yes it is and so, how do you source your milk then so we buy our milk from a local farm um, and they are uh, about 10 miles from us. Um, we work really closely with them. So they've done quite a lot of crossbreeding for us. So we've now got a mixture of Montbelliard, Swedish Red and Holstein Frisian in the oh, herd. Yep. And um, so that produces a really fantastic rich milk for our, specifically for our cheese. Um, and they've done that breeding for us. They have also do... Um, you know, we talk about the feeds and things. So they've, in the last five or six years, they've taken all the things out that we asked them to, like soy and palm oil and all those things that, um, you know, we're trying to move away from at the moment, yeah. Um, yeah. generally. So mainly grass-fed, particularly during the summer months. Obviously, they have to be on silage during the winter. Yeah. Um, and it's a really fantastic uh, regenerative farm. They're big on their conservation. They always have been. They have a, one of the few grey partridge wow. uh, ornithologists doing studies there, living on the on the land. And so yeah. they um, are really keen on their environment and their, yes. um, you know, how they look after the land. Which I mean, that partnership between, you know, for a cheesemaker, you know, where you get, if you don't have, you know, your own farm and lots of people don't, uh, how you get access to good milk is so important, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. like a very fruitful partnership. Give us a yeah. sort of sense of the scale, Stacey. So this, your cheese that you started making at kitchen table and making on a small scale, and now how many, you know, how many cheeses would you make in a week, for example? Uh, so at the moment we make between five and 6,000 cheeses a week. 
gosh. Yeah. Major, isn't it? Isn't that impressive? That's brilliant. Um, It is quite a process. And um, we are currently in a, in a, I then in 2010 built a new creamery. um, And when we moved in here, we thought, oh, it's fantastic. It's great size. We'll be able to be here forever. Um, But actually we're really short on space. So we're actually Mm. now just starting to build another uh, creamery and uh, you know, increasing it by the size by four times so that we can produce enough because obviously at Christmas time, our sales ah, yes. double and yeah. um, at the moment we can't make enough cheeses for the demand. So um, yeah. Well, hats off to you. And, and we should sort of say, so this, and I think, you know, there is something very lovely about being able to buy, as someone who, I love buying cheese. And there's something very satisfying about being able to buy a, a whole small cheese. It's rather lovely, actually. Your cheeses are served on wonderful restaurants, aren't they? That must be another source of immense satisfaction to you, Stacey. Yes, I, I do love that. I, um, yeah, it's, it's great. A lot of the chefs um, use both our cheeses, so they use Winslade as well. Um, Simon Rogan has written several recipes on Tunworth. and Lovely. Yeah, so it's, it's great. I'm, and, you know, there's Tunworth mash is often on um, menus in uh, places like Hawksmoor and things like that, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, so it's really, I mean, that gives me great pleasure. And um, I suppose one of the proudest things for me, one of the things I'm most proud about is um, my father, who's 92, can now go to his local cheese shop in Sydney and um, buy my cheese, which I think is incredible. And he walks past the shop and all the girls call out, hello, Mr. Tunworth, to him, and he just loves that. So (laughs) (laughs) I I really love that fact that um, it is exported to Australia and um, he gets to taste it. That is very special indeed. How lovely. All right. Oh, well, Stacey, thank you so much for taking time because, you know, I can tell you're busy. Um, everyone, you know, it's, it's wonderful. Um, that was a brilliant story. Thank you so much. Thanks very much for having me, Jenny. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Very happy to have with me today Kevin Blunt of Golden Cross Cheese. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, Jenny. Thank you for I- having me on. No, it's lovely to have you on the show because you're such a sort of pioneering figure. You know, I've been writing about food for 30 years and mm. I've seen a sort of, you know, a renaissance and a rise of British cheesemaking, new wave cheesemakers, I suppose, joining traditional cheesemakers. And you're very much part, a very, uh, you know, an early figure in that. Tell me, tell me when you started and, and what took you down this, this cheesemaking road then? Uh, we started probably making cheese in 1990 but we bought the farm in 1984 and wow. had a few goats. Neither of us were from farming backgrounds. Um, we sort of fell into it after university. I worked on a few farms and um, Alison was a nurse um, and we sort of moved around the country getting experience. Um, and it was really milking cows that sort of got my love of animals. And mm. then... When we got our own little small farm, um, it was what could we do on that? And that was goats. Um, And eventually, um, as I say, we started making cheese um, in a very simple way. And then we spotted uh, another local cheesemaker who was selling his business, Regis de Sartre, who was making what is now Golden Cross. Ah, uh, lovely. See, Kevin, it can't have been easy in, in these very early days of cheesemaking, learning how to make cheese, were, were there people that you, that you t- I mean, how did you start? You started on a very small scale and were there people that you, you sort of tracked down to get some advice from? 
Yeah, it was, it was uh, as you say, very, very difficult because uh, we didn't really go anywhere and there wasn't many places to learn from. But when we bought um, Regis's uh, or part of his business, uh, he actually came down and showed us how to uh, make the cheese um, and spent a few days with us um, taking us through the process. Um, but even then, it, we were trying to make it in one room and um, <laughs> that's worked some of the time, but with the soft mold ripened type of cheese, uh, you need lots of different rooms really uh, set at different temperatures and humidities to uh, perfect ah. the cheese. So yep. uh, yeah, some days it would work and other days it uh, didn't turn out too great. But uh, yeah, we um, over time, we gradually adapted our dairy and advice from people like the late James Aldridge. Um, oh, brilliant. was really... Um, you know, uh, a mentor for us, and Randolph Hodgson, uh, Neil's Yard, um, mm -hmm. they uh, sort of helped us out a lot and also um, pushed our cheese out there um, to the public, which was uh, really great. That was important. Yes, I mean, they do so much. You know, it's funny, um, Neil's Yard Dairy, especially being mentioned a lot on this project, they come up mm. because people say they really helped me. I was trying to get going. I needed advice. I needed support. And they, their name comes up, and Randolph's name comes up over and over again. It's, he's done so much right. for cheese making in this country, hasn't he? Quite remarkable. And James Aldrich, too, another wonderful figure. Um, yeah, sadly, <laughs> taken from us too too early, really. And so that's, that's right. So tell us, so I was interested partly, it, you said you, you know, you had some goats to start with. Was that just more, but you had milked cows and loved it cows? Was it, did you choose goats because they were more affordable than cows? Was that um, actually practical? Well, reasons? yes, because as I say, we'd, we'd worked on farms. I'd worked on farms for about five years and ended up as a, a herdsman milking cows. And then we'd really decided that we wanted to farm by ourselves and neither mm. of us were from farming families. Um, so, you know, what could we afford? Uh, not a lot, but we managed mm. to buy um, six acres um, at a place called Golden Cross, um, just 10 miles outside Eastbourne. Uh, it was Alison's uh, parents that spotted this six acres for sale with a mobile home on it. And Wonderful. a barn, and obviously you can't do many cows on six acres. So <laughs> um, we'd sort of thought, ah, goats. So we started off literally with six goats, milking them by hand, and um, initially just freezing the milk and selling liquid milk to delis. And it sort right. of grew to about 30 goats, um, liquid milk again, and then starting to make a bit of simple, very simple lactic cheese that another goat keeper had shown us how to make. Um, right. Before then, sort of five years down the line, really, um, getting Regis's business to start making Golden Cross. Um, by which time describe... we also managed to build a house, which was... <laughs> well done. Gosh, I mean, what a lot of hard work. I was going to say, perhaps you could describe, in case, you know, if listeners who haven't tried Golden Cross, what, what is what is a Golden Cross cheese like? What does it look like? And what, what, what would you like it to taste like? You know, your... Yeah, it's, it it's based like? on the... the um, it's based on the Samoa recipe. So it's a log-shaped cheese. Um, and it's... Uh, so it's about 225 grams or so in weight. And... We um, we make that cheese 
in batches of 40. Um, Gosh, in a sort of a, small, yeah. Very small, but uh, now um, we um, we make sort of five, uh, 480 to 520 of those uh, every other day. Um, initially, when Amazing. we made it, we made it every day of the week, but um, yeah. now we uh, sort of bulk up and um, make twice as much every other day because it's... Um, as I say, it's a, a sort of a lactic cheese. We, after we've, um, on, so we've got like four days, four four milkings rather. And mm-hmm. on the morning that we're going to make the cheese, the um, cheese is transferred to the um, the cheese vat and then allowed to warm up um, to about 18 degrees. And then we add the cheese starter, powdered cheese starter. The uh, our cheese has a a rind, a mold ripened uh, penicillium candidum rind on it. So we add that and also the vegetarian rennet. And right. then it's run off into buckets um, and put into a warm room for um, 24 hours, really, to develop the curd. So it's a sort of a slow overnight process. Mm, lovely, yeah. Um, and then the next day, uh, that cheese is ladled into um, the sets of moulds. So you've got sort of 40 tubes on a tray with another tray on top with holes in it. And um, we start ladling about nine o'clock in the morning and it takes sort of two people at, uh, to do that. They sort of fill them up and then have to keep coming back because it's just all sort of trains. There's no pressing or anything involved. Right, uh, just it's just trains, tra- under its own weight. So you have to lovely? keep adding the curve. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Then you take the trays off the top and then sort of about six, seven o'clock at night, they're ready for turning. So you turn them all over so that they get a, a nice flat end each end. And then the next morning they're um, t- turned again and then taken out of their moulds by hand uh, and put onto, it's very fragile still, so quite a lot of moisture in there. So they're um, they're put onto mats uh, and put in a a room to um, to drain and dry for 24 hours. Everything sort of 24 right. hours with the process in a way. Um, <laughs> yes. The following day, you then uh, hand salt them all. Uh, everything right. is sort of done by hand. And uh, then they take sort of four days to dry before Alison um, sort of takes them off their mats. Uh, everything's sort of done by touch, really, when she feels they're firm enough. They're then put in the maturing room where they're sprinkled with charcoal because it's in the traditional French way. And then uh, once they're in the maturing room, the um, the conditions are such that the humidity is higher, about 90%. Um, and then we that encourages the penicillium canidum to grow over the surface. We let that uh, grow for a day or so, and then we rub them all down by hand again, just to sort of even out the growth of the mould. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, turn them the other way up. So they, And then they, they take uh, from actually sort of producing the milk, making setting it going to the cheese being ready to wrap is like 11 days. It's a lot of time, isn't it? Yes. What do you like it to taste? Because I know cheesemakers always have their, you know, their vision of what their cheese should, you know, at its best taste like. What, what, do, what, do you, what's, what is it about the, tell us about the texture and the flavour of a, of a golden cross. When it's fresh, when it's sort of just freshly wrapped, it, it'll taste quite lemony and um, mm-hmm. slightly acidic. Uh, yeah. And then it's really at its best, we feel, um, sort of around four weeks 
when it oh. um, the action of the penicillium candidum um, on the body of the cheese it tends to uh, soften it so the the body of the cheese will start to break down and you'll get a softer texture and more flavor than mm. uh, than when it's um, initially made but we're wanting the cheese the art really is that you want the cheese to just soften gradually but not break down too fast and get sort of bitter tastes under the rind or any bitter flavors under the rind anything like that uh, yes. so although it's quite a simple cheese to make in many ways it's um getting all the conditions right all the way through to, yeah <laughs> to, to i can come tell up with that. <laughs> yeah and, it's uh, interesting yes these things that yeah, seem you know, obviously you know simple, like other cheese yeah. makers will have said um you're constantly sort of um adjusting everything because every day is different and uh, you're trying to come up with something that's constant really <laughs> in terms yes. of yes uh, quality and flavor and what have you and uh, yeah that's the sort of frustrating plus interesting bit of the cheese making I suppose that's be- beautifully put I think you've hit the nail on the head yeah you're absolutely right Kevin because all the cheesemakers I talk to you know you can tell the sort of you know the sort of frustrated fascination about you know that is not simple to get it right but that's what keeps it interesting isn't it and then I suppose that's right the that's reward, right. The reward is, is, is different. yes and then the rewards when you do get it right must be you know all the better because it was hard you know yes for all those little it. bits I mean, all those factors yes yeah. yeah, yeah, we're not sort of very good at, uh, I'm not very good at describing flavours or anything like that about the cheese, but you just know that sort of when you taste one and you think, yeah, that's, that's ah. how I want it, that's right. So I was interested, Kevin, because when you, at the time that you started making a soft cheese mm. in Britain, a soft goat's cheese, that was, you know, that was very, I'm guessing that was pretty unusual in Britain because it's not very much part of our, you know, we tend to think of British cheeses as, as the territorials, which are large, yeah, you know, cow's yeah, milk cheeses. Yeah. Did you, were people reluctant or, you know, to, to try them? Was, were they barriers, which I'm guessing may well have changed over the decades? Yes, yes. It. I mean, we went to, you know, some local agricultural shows in the early days taking our cheese with us and everybody was like oh goat's cheese don't like that tried that and yeah not really realizing that there's lots of different goat's cheeses around and they shouldn't all be lumped together as one so uh, exactly. yeah it was quite a battle yes. and obviously um that's why i think regis had come up with the the white rind on the cheese, mm. because traditionally a French Samoa would just be uh, covered in ash charcoal and then left to pick up any of the right. moulds and the atm- natural moulds in the yes. atmospheres. And so it would have had sort of blues and greens on it. Well, yeah. trying to convince somebody to eat something with those moulds on 30 odd years yeah. ago um, was very hard. Whereas something white on the outside, um, yes. yeah, they could equate that to brie and camembert. And um, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you know, it's a little bit easier to sell. But, I mean, we still get, even now, people when, because they, the ash shows through, sometimes when they open the, unwrap the cheese, ring us up and say, it's, oh, it's mouldy, yeah. it's gone off. And we say, no, that's just the charcoal. <laughs> Ah. Yeah, it's uh, still sometimes difficult. <laughs> yes, it's an education process, isn't it? But I mean, but it must have been. Mm, so tell us, right. you know, given how much hard work, yeah. Kevin, and you know, and 
and, you know, very determined. Were, were there also, did you have moments of satisfaction? Was there a moment, I don't know, when you went into, you know, a cheesemonger and saw your cheese on the counter and thought, wow, you know, this is, we, we make this and it's, and people are buying it. You know, is, is there, are there, were there satisfactions as well? Oh, yes, yes. There's, there's, there's lots of, yeah, tremendous amount of satisfaction, even something like somebody emailing you and um, saying, wow, just sort of, just had your cheese and it was absolutely fantastic. And you just think, you know, the fact that somebody's taken the time to actually email you rather than just sort of had a bit of cheese with their evening meal and thought, oh, that was nice. Um, but to actually <laughs> yes. bother to contact you um, is really good. And yes, seeing it in, in cheese shops and then sort of um, on um, menus in, you know, some of the really good um, top hotels and what have you mm. when it's on those menus you think oh wow yeah yeah that's really it just gives you that little lift sometimes when you're slogging away uh, <laughs> yes know. and you've won awards you've been very modest but you have won you know sort of gold you know gold awards at the british cheese awards and that must have been very rewarding yes too. yeah that, that's you know that was um really uh, very reassuring really to know that mm. oh yes we're sort of uh, we're up there with with uh, some of the other great cheese makers that um, are about. It was that was really what well, is really thrilling every time you get um, get a, an award. Um, I mean, we were fortunate enough to to um, be the first ones to win the um, the the raw milk uh, cheese award, the James Aldrich raw milk cheese oh, award, the Golden Cross, and then um, that was pre- presented by Prin- uh, Prince Charles. And Gosh. then um, I think one of the ones that was really special to us also was uh, when Golden Cross won the Best British Cheese at the World Cheese Awards in 2018-19. Brilliant. It was held in Bergen, I think. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, great, because we thought, wow, we're the only British cheese in the top 16 that year, I think. Yeah, and that's massively competitive. Yeah, around the world was, and to come through, world, brilliant. Thought, wow, yeah. you know, whereas I think in the last yeah. couple of years, there's been a lot more British cheese makers have, have, have got up there. So, um, oh. yes, that's... Um, it's really uh, rewarding to get those awards, but what matters the most really is that the wholesalers and our customers keep coming back week after week to take mm. the cheese because, you know, that's yes. what matters. When you're milking the goats, um, you can't turn them off, so the milk's yeah. sort of coming at you, and we're in yep. an area where you can't send the milk anywhere else, so we have to process all of our milk into cheese right. and right gosh and, and sell that um so yeah it, we've, which means that we've got to have quite a lot of customers to sort of keep that cheese moving out the door how many goats do you have now from those early days you've obviously scaled up uh, well, we as i say we yeah we we built up to maybe 240 milking goats at, mm. at sort of the most we ever had but we sort of improved the by improve the breeding and selecting of the, the goats that um, you keep. We're down to sort of milking 185 at the moment. Right. But we're getting a similar amount of milk to what we had with 240. So Brilliant. Which is really Gosh, good because well it means less yeah. animals to, to feed and what have you. Um, yes. But yeah. we're producing the same amount of milk and we 
we're sort of limited in uh, size of our our buildings and dairy and everything else that we can't go any bigger than that and we don't want to go any bigger than that it's myself and Alison that um, and now my uh, youngest son Matt has been in oh, the business nice. for ooh, yes. about uh, eight years now I think so wonderful it, uh, yeah it will continue that's wonderful. Oh, well, Kevin, thank you, because I know how busy you must be. So I really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. That was, it was lovely to hear the story of Golden Cross. Um, yeah, so thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm a huge fan of Peter's Yard's crackers, and they go beautifully with cheese. All Peter's Yard's crackers are made in small batches, using quality natural ingredients, and their sourdough starter, slowly fermented for 16 hours, for award-winning flavour and crunch. Visit petersyard.com forward slash shop, enter the code slice of cheese at the checkout to receive 25% off your first order. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peters Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. This week on A Slice of Cheese, very happy to have with me cheesemonger Victoria Stewart-Liberty of Mons Cheese. Good morning, Victoria. Good morning, Jenny. Now, Victoria, this week on A Slice of Cheese, we're looking at the subject of soft cheeses, that whole rather large family. And mm-hmm. I was really interested to talk to you about sort of soft cheeses in France, because it seems such a striking bit of the French cheese tradition to me. Would, would you sort of agree? I would, especially outside of France. I think if you were to say French cheese... The first two that most people think of are Brie and Camembert. Very certainly. true. Yeah, those, they're those both white, iconic, aren't minded. they? Yeah, and then also goat's cheese, um, which the French are very famous for. Lovely. Okay, so that's given us good... So perhaps we should start with those two very famous French cheeses indeed. So Brie and Camembert, white, bloomy cheeses. And, are it, you know, the French have been very good at protecting their cheeses, um, you know, in laws in a way that we didn't do so much in Britain. Um, yeah. So I presume they... They are made what is with following legal definitions. Is that right? They are. They have AOCs and then later on AOPs, which is the EU um, sort of bracketing for these things. But I think brie and camembert in particular, you can make a brie or a camembert anywhere in the world, which is why they've become very, very strict with their AOC rules. So you must always look for brie de Meaux or brie de Moulin or Camembert ah. de Normandie, because yes, they were a bit like cheddar, a victim of their own success and much imitated worldwide. Right. So that's really interesting. I mean, it's always that fascinating thing about, you know, really historic cheese. And then, you know, it happens a bit with balsamic vinegar in a way, doesn't it? You mm-hmm. know, you have the real, very rare, very expensive balsamic vinegar. And then you have the mass produced sort of version of it, industrialised, you know, inc- much, much cheaper and actually quite different <laughs> to taste. And you, you mentioned Brie de Melon and Brie de yeah. Meaux. So I'd be yeah. intrigued. I don't think people see Brie de Melon as much. What, what, tell me about that. Yeah, it's quite hard to find. Brie de Meaux and Coulommier tend towards sort of cabbagey vegetal flavours. And the Brie de Melon is a little bit more mushroomy. Uh, it always reminds me a little bit of porcini, dried porcini. Ah, nice. And that, okay. that liquid yeah. that you get when you steep the liquid, the porcini mushrooms. Yeah. Um, the paste is a little firmer as well. It doesn't get that super gooey, runny thing that people look for brie. Right. Um, with brie's, but it, it's just a little smaller as well. But definitely, if you ever see it anywhere, try it. It's delicious. It's really one of my favourites, actually. Ah, that's good to know. And camembert. 
So, mm. again, I mean, again, I'm really interested in a way perhaps, perhaps you can tell us the difference, but, you know, what you would sell at Mons, which I'm guessing, presumably you're selling what the AOC Camembert, is that right? We do. We sell an AOC Camembert and we work with a, a producer called Rayo, which is a very, it's one of the sort of small semi-industrial producers um, and they've been going since 1930, roughly, I think. Um, but... In 1983, a guy called Mark Brunet took over, and he's really transformed their cheese. He works very closely with the, about, I think, 60 different local farmers, but he's really keen on broadening the diversity of the pasture that the cattle are eating and grazing, oh. um, which really impacts the flavour. So when the, che- the milk arrives at his dairy, it's so kind of full of interesting microbial activity that he adds like a tiny, tiny amount of lactic starter culture because um, there's already so much present in the milk. And I think it's the notion of terroir as well that he's really keen on, so that when you eat that cheese, you're, you're really getting a taste of that place mm-hmm. as, yeah. as much as anything. And I think that's something that people are used to in wine and are sort of starting to grow into in the cheese world, that notion of terroir. But he's done lots with that. His cheeses are very delicious. And what so do they vary? I mean, because that's you know, because someone who works as closely with cheese as you do, Victoria, you must see those. You know, you're tasting, I'm guessing, frequently, and you would see the differences between batches or different times. Yeah, of the year. yeah, yes. So the farmer and the produ- the producer work so closely together. They will always be kind of discussing, I expect, what's going on with the milk. So there'll be changes in the milk over the season, depending on what the, is happening with the grazing, and how late on the cattle are in lactation. And so they're constantly monitoring and tweaking. And then you will taste that in the cheese. So you'll get batches one month, which are just absolutely kind of green, sort of almost wild garlicky flavor. And the next month they might be slightly more, we always say with the, the camembert in Normandy, there's almost like a sort of a slightly shellfishy marine oh. quality to it. And then that makes you rem- remember that it comes from Normandy, which is so coastal. And then again, other times it might be a bit more mushroomy and cap or cabbagey. I mean, that is the joy, isn't it? And it's and it's that oh, range yes. of flavours that good cheese offers. And it, and it's not set in stone. And in fact, it's even if it's cheese you love, the fact that it tastes slightly differently is sort of fun because it's different in an interesting way. You know, It's so uh, exciting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's one of the best things about being up at six o'clock in the morning is tasting a really delicious cheese. Makes it all worth it. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and you mentioned Gates cheese, which is something I'm very, very fond of French goat cheeses. Yes. So I'd love to talk to you about that. What I mean, and I know having sort of visited the Mons store and seen this, you know, to me, incredibly tempting display. What, mm. Talk me through, because perhaps we could talk on some some sort of, I don't know, there must be some very famous goat's cheeses, but I'm guessing there are also some that are more unusual that you know about. So I'd also love to hear about those. One of the brilliant things about working with Mons is that you do get to try things which are a little bit off-piste or unusual so I think one of my favourites is a, a Tom de Chambrouze, which is made by um, the Duyon family. Uh, Isabel Duyon is the head maker, really. She still makes, but we used to sell a little kind of cylindrical cheese that she makes called Charolais, which is from um, the Rhône-Alpes. It's quite a famous one. And then in 2010, they brought in an AOC for that cheese, or AOP. Yeah. And... So she started um, making that, but while she was making that and getting used to the new rules for the AOC, she developed this new cheese called Tom de Chambrouze, which is really unusual because it's sort of a a cutting Tom. So most goat's cheeses are quite small, 
And this one is sort of the same size as a Tom de Savoie, so sort of between eight to ten inches in, di in diameter, and it's ash rind, so Strikingly, strikingly different yeah yeah so when you're yeah. setting out the goats you've got lots of little ones and then you've got this beautiful tom with sort of gray ash rind and this pristine white center and it tastes delicious it's got this beautiful sort of crispness and lovely kind of wet stone quality in the in the rind velvety texture so that's one of my favorites that we sell i'm not sure if anybody else gets that one um, <laughs> it sounds. It sounds interesting. I'm going to look out for that now. Yes, you do. Not, I've never tried it, so that sounds. It's really it's a really lovely one, and then another one that's just come back into season. So the the I just mentioned the Tom de Chambres again. That we get pretty much all year round because they have quite a large herd of about 300 alpine goats, which they split in half so they can have milk running more or less the whole year through. Mm -hmm. um, maybe with a, a slight gap as they change from one herd to the other, but the Mistralu is from Provence and it's just come back into season. So they're a much smaller operation and they farm about 70 little rove goats. And that's the other thing that's quite interesting about this cheese because rove goats are very particular to Provence and they have these enormous, um, it's worth Googling them just to have a look at what mm. they look like. They have these beautiful kind of horns, which are extremely large. They produce a very kind of rich and creamy milk most famously for the cheese banon, which is quite ah, yes. widely available. Yeah. That's so the one wrapped in the leaves, isn't it? Banon. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Exactly. So the Masto family who make the Mistralu also make banon, but they decided to kind of invent their own little cheese called Mistralu, and they wrap it in one chestnut leaf, and it's just a delight. It's got sort of a very different texture. It's low salt, so it's not as um, acidic and and brittle as sub goat's cheese can be. It's sort of a, a little softer and a little more supple. Mm. And it has lovely, those goats kind of graze out the back of, in the woodlands on this farm. So they're grazing sort of wild herbs and flowers. So really interesting, delicate flavors in that cheese. And then moving sort of also a little bit honey. There's a sort of a honeyed quality to it. It reminds me sometimes of sweet chestnut honey, you know, that sort of yes. flavor. Yes, I love that. I often pair that with goat's cheese, actually. That's something yeah. I like doing. I like the bitter notes in a chestnut honey, and it's not a cloying Yes, it's honey. a sort of uh, striking... It's got a complex sweetness, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and once you kind of isolate it as a flavour, you can, oh, that's it, I've identified it. It's sweet chestnut sort of flavours. Um, so that one's lovely. I would definitely have that in my sort of top five goat's cheeses. And that use of, of ash is very striking, isn't it? I mean, and that's done for... I mean, in fact, John from Mons has been on the yeah. on a slice of cheese and talked about it, and it was done partly as a way of keeping, you know, the surface of the cheese clean. Yes. I think that's what he'd said to me historically. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's become a thing, isn't it? And but he makes and he's yeah. saying, you know, goat's cheese are this beautiful, sort of bright, brilliant white, mm -hmm. and so when you cut the t cut through, it's very dramatic, isn't it? So. It is, particularly with the ash rind ones. Um, I think it affects as well as sort of the visual quality there's it i think they kind of reduce the um acidity of the outside of the cheese so you quite often get this lovely kind of bassy note from an ash rind goat's cheese where it sort of tempers the acidity of the center paste so i always yeah i love those so we sell a, a salsa kufi and a saint maud de dragonnier which always have this lovely curdy kind of slightly smooth paste with this basey sort of like wet stone i always think it's like a wet stone sort of flavor from the the ash rind yeah nice that's a lovely phrase that's interesting isn't it and you know you've talked about texture quite a lot because i'm guessing if you've got mm. a range of of soft cheeses you know that 
on that might look to an untrained eye quite similar in a way, mm-hmm. and yet there will be these distinct differences, wouldn't there, between between them, and 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 a lot of that would be to do with the texture, presumably. Yes, I mean it's such a huge part of cheese, the sort of sensation it gives you as you eat it, and um, the variance even in one cheese. So there's one we sell a cheese called um, Petit Blaja, which is um, a little cylindrical one, and it's quite an unusual make in that they blend at least two days of curd together, a bit like Lancashire. I don't know if you've discussed oh, yes. that with anybody. Yes, I so have. Yeah. That's very unusual in goat, goat's world. So you almost get two cheeses in one there. So you get like this soft breakdown at the edges, sort of gooey, almost gooey texture. And inside you get this crumbly, sort of light, moussey sort of sensation from mm. it. So just having that variance even in one cheese is interesting. But when, when you then apply it to a whole range of goat's cheeses, it is a huge sort of factor in exploring cheese I think it's just deciding what textures you like or what textures you're in the mood for yeah very true yes yeah quite. and um, I was thinking so with these soft cheeses I mean a lot of them are very delicate so you must take quite a lot of delicate handling and and is there from a cheesemonger's point of view is it a bit of a nightmare because you know have they got a very limited shelf life and you've got to get get them out of the door is that you know is that quite a lot of logistical you know I don't know complexity behind the scenes that I'm not seeing <laughs> No, the, well, there's times when you'll realise that things are definitely at their best and you'll know, so first thing in the morning you'll know, if I give tastes of this to people, I will sell out, this is going to go. Uh, so yeah. that, that's a lovely thing when you get a cheese and you know this is at its apex and we can just yeah, it's going to give walk people away. something yeah. like yeah. And then other times maybe something's matured a little bit more quickly than you'd like and you suddenly think, crikey, we've, we've got to get rid of this. Mm. Um, it still tastes good. You know, even if it's strong, we always say there's somebody for every cheese. So some people, some I like camembert, for example, at around 31 days when it still has what people call a chalk line. Though it's not, I, yeah. I don't think it's chalky, but it looks chalky. Yes, I know what you mean. Yes, yeah, so firmer and, it, and in the middle and a bit. Yeah, more, yeah, and again, you get that two textures thing. Yes. and two sorts of flavors. I love it like that, but some people want it that little bit further on where yeah. it's starting to bulge and it's broken down the whole way through and it has that kind of more punchy flavor in the rind. So yes, there are there are elements where you're sort of thinking, uh, have we missed the window? But usually there's somebody for every cheese. So it works out pretty well of, in the end. Again, it's part of the, the fun of the job, isn't it? I mean, I think especially yes. when, you, when you work closely with cheese is the fact that it, that it changes, you know, it's varied. It's not, you know, you're not in a routine, are you? There's a freshness every day because... Things that come on, you know, as you said, the cheese can just be, has really hit its moment. You think, wow, this yeah. is gorgeous. And that must yeah. be a really nice, a nice, and that's your sort of fun. I mean, I used to work in a bookshop yeah. and, and obviously books don't change in the way, but only, but it was the fun for me of working in the bookshop was recommending to people, you know, trying to find out what my customer wanted and if they wanted yes. a recommendation. And then something that I had read and that was, you know, fresh in my head and I was very enthusiastic about. And the reps mm. would say to me, Gosh, you've sold another copy of that. You know, I was the only shop yeah. in London, but it, it was a book that I was championing because I thought it was so wonderful. And I'm guessing that must happen with you as a cheesemonger, Victoria. It does. And it's really exciting, actually. Um, a, a few weeks ago, um, we had sort of two batches of Munster. One of them was a lot firmer and a little bit more sort of um, strong in a, in a sort of fierce way. And then there was this younger one, which was really soft and had like sort of rich bacon-y quality to it. Mm. And I just sold them side by side. And my feeling was that I would sell the sort of slightly younger one, but actually they sold equally well because that's, that's that whole thing where there is, if you taste both out beside each other and say, this is actually the same cheese, but at different stages, mm. people just find it really interesting. And a lot of people took a little bit of both, which yeah. was interesting. 
That's nice. Yes, I mean that the chance to do side by side is always fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. What what a treat! If if you were thinking of French cheeses, the soft. So you said interestingly, you thought that outside France, people think mm. of soft cheese as being very French. Yeah. But do you think within France, would they be seen differently, or are they just taken for granted as part of that that rich repertoire of cheese styles that France has? I don't think they're taken for granted anymore because I think this whole uh, I think the Camembert. Uh, AOC, you know, of pasteurization versus unpasteurization, the smaller producers versus the large producers. That was quite a, that got France really galvanized, didn't it? That, that really woke debate. everybody up. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that sense of we can't rest on our laurels, I think, is quite key. Yeah, I mean, French people are aware of the huge diversity of the cheese in their country. I think they we get lots of French cons- customers coming to us. They they have great depth of knowledge always. I've, I think yeah. that's something really interesting about How their culture. interesting. Yes. Yeah. yeah, wonderful. Well, I mean, rightly so. Well, you've totally made me want to um, yes, head, to, head to Mons at once and um, and buy some of those intriguing against cheeses. So thank you, Victoria. Try and bag that yourself a mistralu. I will. Thank you. That's a great tip. Thank you. Yeah. Lovely to have you on the show, Victoria. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Jenny. It's been really lovely. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Thank you so much for listening to A Slice of Cheese. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you could rate us on wherever you've found this podcast. It will make such a difference to us. So I hope you'll enjoy us again. Thank you very much.